It's not just the guys in the woods in the jungles of Africa that worship rocks that are guilty of idolatry. It's not just the people in Acts 17 that had a, had a had an altar to the unknown God that are guilty of idolatry. It's just not the 500 prophets of Baal in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18 that are guilty of idolatry. It's the Christian sitting in the pew that has greater affections for other things than God. They're just as equally guilty of idolatry. When your affection for something or someone else is greater than your affection for Christ, then you're guilty of idolatry. This is the Divine Truth Podcast, a ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church in beautiful Central Virginia. This podcast is for the purpose of teaching God's people through the verse-by-verse exposition live from the pulpit of Emmanuel Baptist Church. We pray that the Word of God richly blesses you as you hear it proclaimed. Let's read our text again. I'm just going to have you keep your seat because of the length of it. But let's read our text again so we have in mind where we've been and where the Holy Spirit is going to take us this evening. Uh, Paul says, beginning in verse 1, It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that 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 he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For, For I verily as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, for as ye are unleavened, For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of the world, or with the covetous or idolaters, I'm sorry, extortioners, or with the idolaters, for them must she needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, with such a one know not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? But them that are without God judges. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, We ask you that you would teach us your truth tonight. May your truth be clear to us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. One of the most serious things that a church will ever have to deal with is dealing with sin within its membership. It is very easy for us to renounce ungodliness that is going on in the world, isn't it? It's easy for us to renounce the sins of others while all the time I may be allowing all sorts of worldliness in my own life. It's real easy. 
to point the finger at others. And that's our sinful tendency. That's our tendency from Adam. That we always have a tendency to take the focus off of ourselves by placing the focus on others. And by the same token, it is easy for the church to renounce the sin of the world. We look at the current state of our society and it's easy for us to say, that's wicked, that's wicked, or the other is wicked. We all speak about sexual immorality as being an evil sin, of which no doubt it is. We all speak of un- the uncontrollable drug-, drug use in our our society. When you get emails that say, uh, check your children's candy this year because there have been traces of fentanyl in, uh, found in uh, candy bags this year. And so we, there's the uncontrollable drug use that's going on in our country. And we look at that as the church and we say that's evil and that's wicked. And it is. We talk about the blasphemy of our day and the, the blasphemy that, that is rampant in our society. But what about the sin that's happening right under our noses? Right under our noses in our homes, right under our noses in this context, in our churches. We must be continually renewed in the spirit of our mind, church, so that the slightest beginning of the spirit of compromise, when it creeps in, from the, from the moment it creeps in, we would be able to detect it. The moment in our lives that we would, we need to pray that we would be able to detect the spirit of compromise rising up in our, in our minds and, and whereby with deceiving us so that we accept the sin of someone because, well, we don't want to offend them. We don't want to make them mad. We don't want them to leave the church. And certainly no one wants any of that. But what did I tell you last week? What is the number one priority of the pastor? What is the number one priority of any church member? What is the number one priority, folks? The purity of the church. The purity of the church is paramount, isn't it? The purity of the church comes before anything. And our number one objective and our number one concern as members of uh, Emmanuel is that we are looking at purity as the number one thing. And when you try to convince yourself that there's nothing wrong with this particular sin, then what has happened is that we've adopted the spirit of the world. Corinth had already adopted that spirit. Oswald Chambers said the only way to overcome the world as Jesus overcame it is by sanctification. As the church becomes more sanctified, as the people within the church that make up that local church become more sanctified, then we are able to overcome the world as Jesus Christ overcame the world. Paul has addressed many things so far in this chapter. We talked first of all about the reported sin. And where Paul said, it is commonly reported among you that there is fornication. There's this pornos. This pornea, this pornographic, this, this, uh, pornographic, uh, actions that are going on. And this type of action, Paul says what? Is the type of sin that is not even named among the unsaved people. And as I keep repeating to you, is that one of the things that Paul condemns this church about is that they are allowing sin in their ranks that unsaved people are not even practicing. And what is the sin here? A boy is having sex with his stepmother. A boy is living with his stepmother, carrying on a relationship as if they're married. Now, we said to you that Paul is not addressing the woman 
probably because the woman is not a member of the church at Corinth, or else he would have been addressing her as well. But he's addressing the boy who was no doubt a member there and said, listen, what is happening in your church, what is commonly reported in your church is a sin that is not even among unsaved people. And so we see the reported sin. But the second thing we saw was not only the reported sin, but we saw the regretful situation. And what was the regretful situation? Verse 2, what was their reaction to this sin? Pride. Arrogance. Paul says, you're puffed up. Instead of dealing with this sin the biblical way, you're puffed up. Because remember, Jesus Christ had already covered this, hadn't he? Jesus Christ covered church discipline in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 17. So this would not have been anything new to them. And so Paul says, your reaction You're regretful. The regretful situation that you're in is that you're puffed up. Instead of mourning. That the person that has done this deed should be taken away from you. And then number three, we saw the revered solution. What was Paul's solution? Verses three through five. Well, in a nutshell, Paul's revered solution would be you deliver that one to Satan. If that person will not repent of the sin they're committing, then you deliver that person to Satan. Why? For the destruction of the flesh. That they may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. The purpose of sending them out is not to keep them out, but the purpose of sending them out is so that the Satan works on them and destroys the flesh, destroys that sin in their life, so that they come back into the fellowship repenting of that sin. But only, only, When repentance happens. And what is part of repentance? Open sin, public sin, public repentance, right? If someone is engaged in a public sin of which they have not repented, and now they are repentant, then they make a public apology to their church for that sin. Public sin, public repentance. Private sin, private repentance. That's the point. Paul says, here's the solution. In fact, Paul says in uh, verse uh, in verse three, he says, you know, I'm. He says, if, I know what I would do if I was there. I'm there. I'm there with you in spirit, as if I'm there. And he says, I'm telling you what I would already do. Deliver that one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, folks. Listen, what kind of sins does this include? That's, that's the question that's, that's normally asked me when I teach on something like this. So, well, Pastor, what sins are included in that? Is my sin of a bad attitude part of that? Private sin, private repentance. Paul lists the sins that are, I think are, at least some of the sins are included in this, and we're not gonna, we're not gonna go there right now, but I, just to give those to you, Kind of an idea. Paul lists in verses 10 and verse 11 the sins that are actually included in this list. And they are, of course, fornication, fornicators, these covetousness. They are uh, thieves, uh, drunkards, or all those people that make up this list of public sins, public repentance. And Paul says, here's the solution. If that person will not repent of the sin, then you deliver that person to Satan. 
And it needs to be clearly understood that this is not done unlovingly. This is not done without a spirit of grace. This is not done in judgment because it's not done with a spirit that says, I'm putting an extra judgment on you because you're committing a sin that I'm not committing. That's not the point, and that should not be the spirit. That's why Paul says in Galatians 6, you which are spiritual, restore such a one. There's a whole lot of qualifications inside of church discipline. You which are spiritual, Paul says, if you see a brother sinning a sin, you which are spiritual, go to him and restore that brother. You which are spiritual. And that, and that means much more than just you that are not committing that sin, but you that are not judging them because they are committing that sin. Because what have I told you a million times? I, I kept hammering this into the, into the brain of my boys when they were living at home. The only thing that separates you from the worst sinner is one word, and that is grace. Grace. I am not, in and of myself, more righteous than anyone. And I'm talking about me. I'm not among myself more righteous than anyone. The only thing that separates me from Ted Bundy is grace. Grace. The only thing that separates you from an Adolf Hitler is grace. That's it. Grace. Because except it be for the sovereign grace of God, we are all an Adolf Hitler at heart. We are all a Ted Bundy at heart. And so it needs to be kept in mind that when this, when this process happens, Paul's words are kind of seem short here because he's dealing with, he's dealing with a, with a church that knows better. But as you bring in other parts of the scripture, other parts of what Paul himself has written, then you understand that it needs to be done with the spirit of love. It needs to be done with the spirit of grace. Paul is pretty strict here, though. Paul gives a church pretty strict um, responsibilities for what they should do, for what they should do. But then we looked at number four last time, and uh, we see the response supplied. Paul says, fellas, your boasting is not good. Your boasting is not good. Know ye not, verse 6, that a little leaven... Leaven is the whole lump. Remember we said to you last week, you've probably heard most of your Christian life that in the word of God, leaven is a picture of sin. And we said to you last week, that's not necessarily the case. But because of the 13 times that the word leaven is in the, used in the New Testament, one of those times, because it's actually done twice, but one is a parallel passage. So one of those times it's used in a positive way. And so is leaven used as a picture of sin? Yes, it is used as a picture of sin, but it's also used in a positive way in Matthew 16.33 or Matthew 15.33. And so what we do is we say leaven, instead of being used directly as a measure, as a picture of sin all the time, what do we say that, that leaven is better used for? As a picture of what? Influence. Influence. And influence whether it be for good or whether it be for bad. Here it's bad. There's one time in the New Testament where leaven is used as a reference to good influence. Talking about the spreading of the gospel in the kingdom. But in most places it is used in the New Testament as in a negative, in a negative sense. But it's all used in the sense of influence. What is your influence? And Paul says, listen church, purge out therefore the old leaven. Get rid of that negative influence. And then number five. Where we pick up right now the righteous standard. The righteous standard. Starting in verse 9. 
There's only one standard, isn't it, church? There's only one standard, and that is a righteous standard. There's only one righteous standard, and that's God's standard. And it is by that standard that all actions are judged. And the righteous standard of God commands His church to take certain actions against an unrepentant sinner, and those actions are of a certain kind, but they are to be exercised within certain bounds. One of the questions that I have wondered all my Christian life, one of the questions that I've been asked many, many times as we talk about church discipline, as you look at Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 17, and you look at the, the steps, the order of the steps, you know, if you know a brother that's sinning, you go to your brother, just you and him, and you tell him of his sin. If he repents and you've gained a brother, but if not, what do you do? You go back with two or three witnesses, the mouth of two or three witnesses, everything, everything may be accounted for. If he hears you, great, you gained your brother. If he doesn't hear you, then what do you do? The third step is you tell it to the church. And you tell the church in detail what's going on in this person's life. And then if they don't hear the church, then what do you do? You let them be as one of the publicans and the sinners. And one of the attributes of the publicans and sinners, they were not allowed in the synagogue. They were not allowed in the temple. And so what that basically means is, is that when you treat them, if they don't hear the church, then you treat them as a publican, meaning you excommunicate them from the church. And so the question is, how, what, is the, what is the length of time between each of those steps? How much time should you give that person to repent? And I'll just say this, that's up to the pastor and the elders of that church through a, through a lot of prayer. But I can tell you what, it should not be a long period of time. We're not talking about between step one and step two, you're giving them three to five years to get right with God. Because listen, the purity of the church is at stake. And if you want to get any biblical example of, of the timing, then how long was it when Achan sinned that Joshua went to Achan and Achan was dead because of his sin the next day? So if you want to get any type of time frame, of course the Lord Jesus doesn't give us that time frame. But I can say, I can tell you this, that because the purity of the church is at stake, it needs to be, each step needs to be done sooner rather than later. Because it's purity of the church is at stake. And so the standards that God has set for the church need to be exercised in a certain way and with a certain kind. And Paul makes an address here that he had written to them what, what is considered to be a non-canonical uh, or, a, or a letter to this church is not part of the canon of Scripture. He says in verse 9, he said, I wrote to you in an epistle. Now, some people say that that's 2 Corinthians. And there are some indications to that, that that could be the epistle. Because 2 Corinthians, they say, some say that 2 Corinthians was actually penned before 1 Corinthians. But it could be a non-canonical book. But be that as it may, Paul makes, whatever it is, Paul makes reference to it. They said, I wrote to you in an epistle not to do what? Keep company with fornicators. And the word company literally means to mingle. It's a Greek compound word which adds an intense form to the word. And it's the idea of keeping an intimate, close company with somebody. Faithful believers are not to keep company with fellow believers that persistently practice serious sins such as the ones that are mentioned in this text. The purity of the church is of such importance that those who will not repent after two or three witnesses and the church gave warnings and pleas for repentance, they are put out of the fellowship. 
And when they are put out of the fellowship, they should not be allowed to, be, to participate in any of the activities of the fellowship. They should be totally cut off. That's what that word company means. Totally cut off. And folks, again, it's not about being better than anyone else. It's not about uh, being, spirit, being a spiritual elitist. It's about the purity of the church. And that includes individual and corporate fellowship with other Christians. I've never quite understood, and I'll be totally frank with you, I've never quite understood why Christians constantly keep company with other Christians that have tried to try to tear up churches. They've tried to destroy pastors, they tried to destroy churches, and when they and when they, and when they failed, they left that church, but people at that church still maintain the same relationship with them. I've never understood that. And that certainly isn't scriptural. Now, Paul is talking about fornication here, but he adds to the list in verses 10 and 11 of people that if they're practicing these things, you should not keep company with them. You should not mingle with them. You should not have an, an intimate corporate fellowship with them. And the problem is that when someone is refusing to repent and they're removed from the church and then some Christians try to maintain uh, some kind of fellowship with them, it really does undermine what the Lord is trying to do in that unrepentant sinner's life. And then the next step, if someone keeps company with someone that has been removed from the church, the next step is empathy for the sinner. You begin to feel sorry for what happened to this unrepentant sinning brother or sister that was removed from the church. Well, you know, the pastor was kind of hard. Yeah, the church did, the elders of the church did kind of overreact a little bit. And then the next spirit, and then the next um, step is a critical spirit concerning what the Lord and the church is trying to do. And the next thing you know, you're out of fellowship with the Lord. Because what's the Bible say? Make no fellowship with an evil man or a wicked or, or angry person, lest you do what? Learn his ways and get a snare to your soul. Be not deceived. Evil communications do what? Corrupt good manners. And before you realize it, you've got a negative spirit toward the church and toward the elders. And so what does Paul say do? Break those ties altogether. Break those ties all together. The Greek word company is used a total of three times in the New Testament, twice in this chapter and once in another letter by Paul, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 14. If any man, get, this, get what Paul says here, if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and do what? Same Greek word as in 1 Corinthians 5. In other words, Paul's saying, if any person does not obey truth, you note that person and you have no fellowship with that person. You do not mingle with that person that he may be ashamed. Again, let me show you a verse I quoted to you, but I'll throw it up on the screen. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Psalm 1, classic, classic verse 
on keeping fellowship. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Church, listen. Look at that verse. Do you see the progression? First you're walking, then you're standing, and then you're sitting. That's the progression. That's normally what happens. It's empathy. It's tolerance, empathy, then negativity. And then we could add another point to that, and that would be practice. It would be practice. The psalmist said in Psalm 26.5, I have hated the congregation of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. You know, the, you know the, the reason why when somebody preaches on this, the reason why in some places this sounds so uncharitable is because so many Christians, not here, but I'm talking about Christianity by large, so many Christians are so used to having fellowship with ungodly people and Christians that are un, uh, not right with God that when, they, that when they hear, they read in Scripture about not keeping company with sinners, it sounds odd to them, it sounds ungracious. And not that it's ungracious, it's that they so long do it that it seems odd to them. Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 14, Bend her not into the path of the wicked, and go not into the way of evil men. Paul prohibits the Corinthians from holding communion with these people while professing to be believers. Folks, let me tell you something. This is something I've believed for years. That I've, I have believed for years, and I've kind of seen it in practice, and you, that a Christian that is out of fellowship with God and unrepentant of sins is 10 times more vicious and 10 times more trouble than an unsaved person. Okay? Because the Word of God has more strict commandments about not associating with unrepentant sinners than it does associating with unsaved people. We're not told not to mingle with unsaved people, but we are told not to mingle with an unrepentant sinner. Now, we're not to have fellowship with those, of, with those that are lost, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 17. But Paul uses a much more stronger word here for having, not having that relationship with, a, with, a, with an unrepentant sinning believer than he uses for an unsaved person and Paul prohibits under the inspiration of the spirit Paul prohibits these Corinth the Corinthians from holding communion with those people while they're living a wicked and dishonoring life John Calvin stated let all that wish to be reckoned brethren either live holy and becomingly or be excommunicated from the society of the pious and let all the good refrain from intercourse and familiarity with them. Paul calls for discrimination about the boundary. We need to make some boundary markers, don't we, church? And, and believers are to use their senses about how all that works out. That no one is confused that a man such as this moral offender is well aware of where he stands in relation to the church. It's sort of like, I used to, I, I, get, a kick out of, I get a kick out of parents sometimes. 
and I'm guilty. That's why I get a kick out of it because when I was a, because when I was a, when I had kids at home, I was, I was guilty. How many of you have punished your kids by sending them to their room? Two of us? Okay, I did too. Rebecca, you know what's funny about that? And I'm not saying you did this. I'm saying, you know, you know what's funny about this? Parents that send their kids to their room and the PlayStation's in the room. Cable television's in the room. The cell phone is in the room. You haven't punished that child. And by the same token, when someone is removed from the church because of sin, but they are allowed to participate in the corporate activities and the fellowship of the church, it undermines what God's done because you're not really delivering that person to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. You've just taken them out, of, out from underneath of the authority of the church, but nothing else has changed. And that's why Paul is very clear that we need to set these boundary markers so that they are not confused of what's actually happening. You are gone. You are excommunicated from this church. You are hindering the purity of this church. Because listen, folks, we need to keep in mind that by their continual unrepentant sin, they've not only showed an uncaring spirit for the Lord, they've also shown an uncaring spirit for the church. And an uncaring spirit for you individually. By committing those sins that Paul lists here right underneath your nose. Because the actions of this immoral man will contradict everything the church teaches. And if he is allowed to remain in the fellowship, the Christian church can no longer call themselves Christian. Right? We allow people that are continually living in unrepentant sin to remain. We're no longer a church. We're no longer a church. We're no longer a church that Paul says in Ephesians 5 that he wants to present before the Lord a chaste or a pure virgin to Christ. Because we need to keep in mind that's the purpose of the church. That's what Paul said he wants to present to the Lord, a church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that is pure and that is chaste. But that's what Paul says in verse 10. There was a little confusion going on in uh in the people of Corinth, and it may have been a purposeful confusion. It may have been accidental, but uh, Paul says again, I wrote unto you an epistle not to, not to mingle, not to have that uh, intimate relationship with fornicators. Look, so it says in verse 10, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters, for then ye must needs go out of the world. You see what Paul's saying? John Wesley said this, God knows nothing about solitary religion. God knows nothing about solitary religion. And the Corinthians had misinterpreted Paul's previous advice about them associating with immoral people. Because it is impossible that, it, well, it is possible rather than put it that way, it is possible that their misinterpretation of Paul led them not to deal with the sinner. Because they would have thought that it was impossible to remove themselves from all sinners or all fornicators so they'll do nothing about the one that's in their church. Paul is giving an unreasonable request. 
Right? Paul is giving an unreasonable command. He's expecting us to remove ourselves from every fornicator in the world. Well, that's impossible. So, he, so we're not going to deal with this one either because what he's asking us, it's impossible. It's, in, it's unreasonable. But Paul's clear. He says, I'm not talking about those, that, those fornicators that are of the world. He's, I'm not telling you to disassociate with them because the only way that you'd be able to disassociate with them was why? You'd have to move to another planet. You better hope there's some living organisms on Mars because if you're going to disassociate with every fornicator in the world as if they interpreted Paul's writings, then that's where you're going to have to go. You have to go to a place where you're living by yourself. That's the point. And their treatment of this unsaved, of the unsaved in the world may have, may have indicated their spiritual arrogance. Remember, church, we're to be witnesses to the world, aren't we? We are not to be conformed, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. We are not to be conformed to the world, but we're to be what? Transformed. Romans 12, 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We must be in the world, folks, and have contact with them, don't we? Otherwise, we'll never be able to evangelize them. John 17, 15, Jesus said in his high priestly prayer, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but do what? Keep them from the evil. Keep them from the evil. In verse 18, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so I also send them into the world. So it's not a, a break of a relationship to the world. Paul says, no, 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 verse 10, verse 11, you are, verse 10, you're, you're misinterpreting what I've said. That's not what I'm saying. Because then you'd have to leave the world. You'd have to go to another world. But while you are in the world, you're not to be of the world. Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, that ye may be what, church? Blameless and harmless, sons of God without rebuke. In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So Paul mentions some, some sins here. And Paul says, yet not altogether with the fornicators of the world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with the idolaters. Now we know from previous studies what Paul means by fornicators, pornos. Is a Greek word, and it, and, it, and it includes all kinds of sexual sins, heterosexual sins, uh, homosexual sins, the sin of lesbianism, the sin of bestiality. All type of sexual sins are engulfed in this one word, pornos. And Paul says you're not to keep company with one who is an unrepented sinner, unrepented Christian who is involved in sexual sin. It really worries me, church, and it really concerns me when I, when I see people that are members of churches, and I, I look at Facebook, and I see what people, I know what people are doing in their lives. In fact, I know a young man right now that I know fairly well. He's a member of a church somewhere else, but he is the father of two children with a woman that's not his wife. And it concerns me when he's allowed to be a member of a church. It concerns me at the level of purity of that church. And again, folks, we need to keep in mind it's not that any one church who practices church discipline is better than the other. It's one word, and that's what? 
grace. You always remember that. Always remember grace. That's the only difference. No difference between you and anyone else but grace. And it's not your grace, is it? It's not my grace. It's sovereign grace given by God. And if it wouldn't have been for that grace, I hate to imagine where I'd be. Probably wouldn't be standing where I am tonight. And you wouldn't be sitting where you are tonight. And so it's not about being judgmental. It's about the church being pure. And Paul says, listen, I'm not telling you that you should not keep company with every fornicator that's in the world. And he's talking about immoral, a sexually immoral person. And then he says covetous. What is covetous? That's just somebody that, that, that always wants more. Always wants more. And usually they want what somebody else has. And the, the characteristic of covetousness is that they want what somebody else has and they'll do anything to get it. And the covetousness is, of course, condemned by the commandments. In the Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, the Bible says, Thou shalt not what? Covet. And then gets a whole list of things you're not supposed to covet. From, from uh, maid service to man service, and you're not supposed to cover covet your neighbor's wife. And, of course, if you look in the New Testament, that type of coveting also comes under the sin of adultery. If anyone looks upon a woman and lusts after her in his heart, he's guilty of adultery. So fornicators and covetous are on the list of public sins that require public repentance. And extortioners. And extortioners. What is an extortioner? Well, that's pretty easy. It's a thief. It's a thief. Or with idolaters. What's an idolater, church? An idolater is not someone that worships a stone statue, although that may be what his sin of idolatry is. But an idolater is anyone who has more of an affection for anything and anyone other than Christ. When your affection for something or someone else is greater than your affection for Christ then you're guilty of idolatry. You're guilty of idolatry. It's not just the guys in the woods, in the jungles of Africa that worship rocks that are guilty of idolatry. It's not just the people in Acts 17 that had an had a, had a altar to the unknown God that are guilty of idolatry. It's just not the 500 prophets of Baal in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18 that are guilty of idolatry. It's the Christian sitting in the pew that has greater affections for other things than God. They're just as equally guilty of idolatry. And so we need to be very mindful tonight, folks, that our affections, our, single, our singleness, our have singleness, right? That's what I quote, verse I quoted to you this morning, 2 Corinthians eleven three. Paul says, I'm, I pray that I'm worried, I'm nervous that you will be as Satan was beguiled by Satan, was Eve rather, was beguiled by Satan. You should be tricked 
into the simplicity, as a word in the authorized is. It literally means singleness of mind in Christ. Christians should be singularly focused. And we should have no other affections that are stronger than our affections for God. I'm not saying, Paul, God doesn't say you can't have affections for other things, but those affections should should be subservient to your affection for Christ. Paul says, I'm not telling you not to keep company with those people that are in the world because because if you don't keep company with those people in the world, the only way you would not have to do that is if you left this world. But now I have written, verse 11, but now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a, what, brother, be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such a one know not to eat. Paul adds a couple there to that list, doesn't he? He adds a railer and a drunkard. Thank you for listening to Divine Truth Podcast. We pray that the Word of God has been a spiritual blessing to your soul. For more information about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ebcmineral.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Our Lord's Day services are 10 and 11 a.m. as well as 6.30 p.m. We also have a Wednesday service at 6.30 p.m. We here at Emmanuel Baptist Church pray that the message of God's divine truth would always go from the cross, through the church, to the world, until Christ come. God bless you.